Hello and welcome to the HR Happy Hour Inclusion Crusade. I am your host, Sarah Morgan, and we are committed to making workplaces more inclusive one episode at a time. So I am back in the chair and talking to our wonderful expert in residence, Charlie Pleasant, LCSW. And thank you for being with us still and helping us to really um, not just navigate these inclusion conversations from a high level of do's and don'ts, but also helping our listeners to gain understanding about what happens inside the psyche and the physical being of people going through these experiences. And I just appreciate you so much for continuing to be willing to give voice to that on this platform, because we talk so much about the importance of employee well-being, the importance of employee mental health, um, but then we can still make choices that are not in the best interest of those things. And so I oh. think it's wonderful that we have you and that HR Happy Hour Network has you to be able to provide that guidance for our listeners. So thank you for Absolutely. continuing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Love to, to be fill here. that chair. Yes. Absolutely. So here we are, um, as we are recording, this is the end of February 2024. Um, we are just a few days away from the start of March. And it is what I have come to call history season mm -hmm. for me. It starts for me like with Martin Luther King Day. Like from that moment on until usually the end of March, I am in my power to the black people bag and my, you know, power to women bag yes. hard, hard yeah. during those times. So we are on the cusp of kind of the shift in the season. And I wanted us to have some conversation about this because we've talked a lot about the ways that DEI is under attack. Yes. Um, within our country right now, what we're mm -hmm. seeing going on in the states, what we've seen happen with the Supreme Court earlier this year, we know all signs are pointing to the fact that this ruling from the Supreme Court regarding DEI in selection for admissions to universities combined with um many of the state level education saying we're removing DEI from the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We are limiting access to certain reading materials that we, you know, deem controversial about moments in our history. All of that is going to make its way into the workplace eventually. Yes. Um, and, and sooner rather than later, for sure. I, I, and I have to go back and familiarize myself with the recent um, Supreme Court ruling around DEI in college admissions. I really thought that this was a 1996 issue that initially started in Washington State. Mm -hmm. It made its way to Michigan. We saw this this criteria taking place where you can't utilize race as a part of the criteria in order to get into colleges and universities. And yeah. I could be wrong, 
Yeah. So the most recent ruling um, was in the summer of this year. And let me okay. go back and find it where the Supreme Court, yes, Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action that the programs at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill and Harvard were violating the Constitution equal protection clause, which bars racial discrimination in government entities. And so basically their case was saying that even if if you are a private institution, a private educational institution receiving government funds, you cannot... Um, you cannot use race as a factor in the decision, oh. which took the it's 2003 decision. That was um, our good friends, Abby, Abby Bollinger at the University of Michigan Law School. Right. I and then before friend. then, it was in California. Mm -hmm. And that was the ruling that happened a little bit over 30 years ago. Yeah. Got so it. it's really... Um, focused around the because they went they go all the way back in this particular article to Sandra Day O'Connor's um comments in the the ruling from the 90s and of course in this particular ruling um justices Sotomayor Elena Keegan and Katanji Brown Jackson dissented sure. and the others were in favor of that and yeah. I think that's going to be what the court is how it's structured and where it's going to lead. So we're back to yep. something that's a 30-year-old issue that's still being ruled on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. present day. So now it's even if you're a private institution that accepts federal funding. If you accept federal funding, then yeah. you, you cannot yeah. have this. And it's only a matter of time before it turns into if you're accept. Now the states are jumping on the the state is not going to provide you with funding if you some of the yeah. states the states yeah. are jumping on that we're not going to provide you with funding if if DEI is a part of your education or a part of your strategy right right, right. and that, I feel I, that that is also in violation of what came out of the Supreme Court ruling when and eventually that's going to get challenged and will probably find its way to the court and should the court rule in favor of that, um, again, DEI programs that we're seeing in corporate entities are will will quickly uh, face the same face the same fate and scrutiny. So that's worrisome, right? For those of us yeah. who work in this space, for those of us who are committed to this work, and for those of us whose lives. And live, you know, our lives and our ability to thrive in the work that we do is contingent upon our employers making sure that their populations are educated in the ways of inclusion. Yes. Um, it's a scary proposition. And for you and I, we fall into all three of those buckets, right? Yep. Like not only is this the work that we do, not only is this very something that's very important to us as individuals, but 
rollbacks in these areas, the stopping the progress in these areas will directly have impact on us as humans Mm -hmm. because of the identities that we possess. And that is a scary and unacceptable thing Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to me as I look out over the horizon and am constantly asking myself, how do I increase my activism to be able to have some measure of impact um, in the direction of that? And I don't know what that answer is yet. um, Let me see if I can strike on that a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Because I know I know what you do. I don't know all of what you do, but I'm fairly familiar with your work, the spaces that you move in, how long you've been championing um, just DEI inclusion. And then, of course, by virtue of our sorority, that's just a mission and a charge of mm-hmm. what our work is in, in our organization. I want to challenge that, uh, that, that, that thought process of how much more I can do, because it doesn't mean that we let up. Mm-hmm. But what it does, what it does indicate to me and I think across any spectrum where there's advocacy needed for inclusion, for people to stop being pushed into the margins and be more centralized and centered, is that it's going to take more than just those who are already here. Mm. Yeah. So that, and I feel like that, that that becomes the 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 mental and emotional wear down that happens. What more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I do? Mm. Yeah. Where a lot of what's being done as far as legislation, policies, racism, all of that requires the entrance of people or part of our our, our culture and community that has to that has to begin to participate in this conversation as well too. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're you're actually very, very right about that because I didn't think about it that way before, but I agree, as I heard you say it, The it can't all be on me. Like, yeah. I have to entertain the idea and allow space for the notion that I'm already doing enough. I'm mm-hmm. already doing my fair share. Mm-hmm. And so me doing more or me doing different may not be the answer. And I will even have to challenge myself further and say the idea that I have to do more is a form of like internalizing the oppression that we suffer, right? Like mm-hmm. this, this idea that somehow I carry this on my back and I have a, a greater responsibility than anyone else. And right. if if our liberation, if getting all of that off our back is a part of the goal of the work that we do, then we have to challenge ourselves in those notions as well. So thank you for that, that calling. No, no problem. Um, I thought about that a great deal when um, Congressman John Lewis passed away um, a few Mm -hmm. years back who's had a very documented and well-storied history in um, in civil rights and in equality and justice. And I think yeah. about the John Lewis's of the world or the Shirley Chisholm's of the world, uh, those, mm-hmm. those that are moving in spaces of activism. I'm not, I, I don't want it to be misconfused 
um, or misconstrued that I don't believe that self-actualization could happen. Mm-hmm. But in a larger sense, I oftentimes wonder what could have been realized in the life of the pioneers who've gone on before us had this not been their fight. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's so yeah, true. Yeah, like you know, what, what else? What, what, what else? What else could they, they have gone have on achieved? to do? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. With without care, and 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 I understand. I mean, it's it's a great testament to a life of service and well lived. For sure, for sure. And th- did you not? You know, and and I'm not making light of it of anything. If I didn't have to be in this place of fighting for equality and justice at every corner. What else might I, I go somewhere doing? and just want to knit blankets for the rest of my life? Right. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like something that it, it I, I, I oftentimes wonder what parts of us, you know, I'm an IFS therapist for those who mm-hmm. might not know me. My name is Charlie. I'm an internal family systems therapist and I deal specifically with parts mm-hmm. um, in my therapy work. And I oftentimes wonder when our systems become burdened with things, mm-hmm. what parts in us become exiled in order to handle the other things. Yeah. So I think about that in the pioneers who are still with us and that have gone on is that what did they have to put on the shelf? What parts of them did they have to put on the shelf to make this, to to push and advance not only black culture, not only uh, women culture, but just culture period Period. Mm -hmm. at the expense of the parts that had to be shelved. Yeah. And and what kind of, so for there's, and then I look at that, like in two parts, as you say that, I love that you said the part about like, would I just be somewhere knit in a blanket, right? Because I am obsessed with these woobles. Have you seen? No, what is a wooble? So it's basically like knitting of little like stuffed animals, but they come in a kit. And some, they might be a character from uh, Harry Potter. It could be a character from one of your favorite cartoons. It could be a character, like I saw one for the Smurfs. I've seen a couple of, um, I've obviously seen the Harry Potter ones. I've Mm -hmm. seen the ones like Pikachu and all of the, and poke all the like Pokemon characters. Like I want to knit a Squirtle. Okay. Yeah. But I can't knit a Squirtle because I have to prepare myself to travel to this client site to do this exercise with them so we can define their equity strategy. So that time that I could be knitting a Squirtle, is got to be put on the shelf because right. I got to do this work over here, right? So that's the one thing. I wonder then if the other the... thing is, that I think about is if I didn't have to keep going from organization to organization to help them define their equity strategy or or train them on how not to microaggress each other or right. how to be a more effective bystander um on any of those spectrum of things what else could I be talking about right like what other work could I be doing so it's the rest that I gain when I don't have to engage in this heavy 
work the and whether Which is that's why Trisha Percy's work is so important. so important it shout so out important. to the her, nap ministry shout out to her just in being able to give us a pathway and i know she's not the first no she's you know been you know she's walked on blaze trails as well too but that's why i find her work so important because it's yes. not just on the surface of going to sleep now going to sleep is a large part of that yeah but you know i mean it's not the largest part of that but it's to what you're saying it's the rest how, and the joy how do i go back and reclaim the things that i've had to put mm-hmm. on the show and this idea of like having hobbies and things that you do for the sheer joy of them that you don't monetize right like we know your line sister shout out to mika cheeks mm-hmm. mika cakes by mika yeah. um, is a baker okay yes. a ba- mm-hmm. with with all the r's a baker and she loves it but i remember early on when she first started um doing this more and i'll dare i say commercially because it was never really about commercial being like a baker for her it was really about i love to bake i want to share this with people mm-hmm. she wasn't and concerned people want to pay me for and this. people want to pay me for this so i'm gonna allow that right. but it was never about mika wants to start a bakery mika wants to go on food network it wasn't about that But this pressure that we have to monetize everything that we're good at, right? And just Mm -hmm. learning to reject that notion and do things for the joy of Mm -hmm. doing them. And sometimes you do it and you're not even good at it. And for me, like, those are my favorite things to be able to do. This is why I use, I, we we don't have it at our Y anymore, but we had a um, hip hop dance aerobics class Mm -hmm. I was in there faithfully okay and you know because you've known me for 20 plus years I can perform choreography but I am not a dancer right Right. so those are there are two different things like I'm I'm coordinated enough to perform the choreography and with practice I will do so with gusto but I am not a natural like dancer and move but I was in hip-hop aerobics class faithfully on my boom cat eight count for my life Mm -hmm. and I know I looked crazy and Mm -hmm. it didn't matter because I was just in it for the joy of being able to be in it that's right and that's right that's what I love about Trisha's work is this idea that you can do things for the joy of just doing them and that includes yeah. rest that in, and that being includes- intentional about taking taking rest unplugging recharging and recognizing that that is just as much a part of our ancestors wildest dreams as any achievement there's another mm-hmm. like movement that i see and I can't attribute it to any one person, but how we always talk about black excellence and women have to, you know, do this black women save the world, you know, and, and all of that. So like, what if I just like, what if I just want (laughs) to be in the middle, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if I don't want to be magical? What if, what if my, what if I'm on my Leviosa instead of Leviosa? You know, like, what if I am? Like, what if that's what I'm doing? Let right. that be okay. I was working, I was working with a tech company last year. 
delivering this very message. And I stand on it. Y'all can fight me on it. Mm -hmm. Black excellence will kill us. Yes. Yes. It will kill. I understand on its face what that means to be to be black, to be in excellence of doing mm -hmm. what you're going to do. And what's not talked about a lot of times when the end product is put out there to be seen and to be celebrated is everything that took place in the background. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the stress of what it means to, to mm -hmm. engage in or, or to be labeled black excellent. And the term, the term in and of itself is so subjective that the goalposts can be moved at any point. Your excellence might not be my excellence. That your right. excellence, my excellence might not be the next person's excellence. So it's always a moving goalpost mm -hmm. where there's no place to land. So, and it's, it's, um, it feels like one of those words or one of those concepts, even though I understand it, y'all, I truly do understand it. And I feel like it's one of those words that, that plays into the excavating of black talent, mm -hmm. um, black resources for the production of a capitalist system. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And we have to it's really interrogate anything that we do that, to your point, is ex excavating, mining through our talent, mm -hmm. stealing those resources to fund the capitalistic structures that were designed to exclude us and keep us oppressed. Yeah. So we have to be super mindful, super intentional about how we work in a so that we're not doing so in a way that feeds that. And to some extent you can't help it because we live the, the capitalism is if in America and in most of if most advanced nations where people would be listening to us. Right. That's the name of the game. And it's not and going now, anywhere anytime soon because the story that's been told for so long is that it is the only way and we can't even remember another way. Right. Yeah. So I, I get that. We're slowly starting to remember. I honestly believe that we're slowly starting to remember a different way. Yeah, um, I'm, I've, I've been so. really invested in in the returning of returning of people to land and to nature and homesteading and mm -hmm. finding community and building community in that way. Um, mm -hmm. But just to your point of being mindful of how we work with the with the term like black excellence, it invites me to ask anyone. Who and, and again, this is not a judgment of anyone who subscribes to it, but I want to understand why you work. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that I talk to my clients about a great deal as far as um, maladaptive coping strategies mm -hmm. is in achievement. Yeah. And the reason why one of those, co that coping strategy flies under the radar is because it's rewarded. Mm -hmm. So when we think about, like in the clinical world, when I'm thinking about malad, when most people hear about um like just coping strategies and different negative coping strategies, mostly being used in maladaptive, but coping negative coping strategies, they might be thinking drugs, um, you know, sex, um, mm -hmm. alcohol, like all of the things that we've kind of 
demoralized and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of put in its own kind of polarization. But when it comes to the overachieving, mm -hmm. the act, the, the acquisition of accolades, um, the ongoing pursuit of degrees, I'm not curious more so about your how. I'm curious about your why. why. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your why. And if and it's hard to see it as a possible maladaptive strategy because it's so wildly and greatly rewarded. Mm -hmm. It's another reason why I have an issue with and and again, I'm I'm really getting into my bag on 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 how I center my work and how I pivot my work when I'm working with my clients. It's the over at the end of the day, all moms should be celebrated. Mothering and parenting is hard. And doing it as a single parent is equally as difficult. And I struggle with the way that it's celebrated. Mm -hmm. I struggle with the way that it's celebrated because it calls forward all the things that the person has had to do in order to keep a family intact, in order to provide, mm -hmm. in order to make sure that the family unit is moving forward. And it does not interrogate why she's in that position in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And so and so when 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 we go and we talk about the strength of all of these things, there's another part of that conversation that goes unexamined. Mm -hmm. uh, you are preaching to the choir in so, both of those regards as a recovering per perfectionist um, and as a as a woman who was once upon a time a single mom for years before I, I remarried. You're right. Mm -hmm. You have to interrogate the why yeah. why am I and what I found through therapy is that it was I was seeking achievement to fill something in me that was missing you know um, yeah. the messages that I received as a child that said I was only lovable when I was well behaved and achieving that's that's it and so when we talk about Black history and Women's History Month, in the context of all of this, just in this particular conversation, and I'm sure we can probably talk about it at a later time, is the transactional nature that's always been put on Black female bodies. That our value has always been collectively in this country on these shores, wrapped in what we can do e equates how valuable we are. So we get that messaging very early to completely disconnect from the essence of who we really are to go serve a system. And how do we begin to rein that back in? But again, that could be a conversation for a different time. So tell me, what is your advice to organizations who are trying to make a decision about the best way for us to celebrate and honor the achievements of African-Americans, of women during this season? What do they need to look out for? What do they need to avoid? Um, what's, what is the, the important thing for them to know and learn? I think as I see it overall, make it a practice outside of the month of February and March. Mm. There's innovation that's happening in 365, right? Yeah. Make that a practice. And as you're getting to 
maybe Black History Month or Women's History Month or Pride Month or any of these other spaces, then you can begin to kind of narrow the focus to talk specifically about the contributions of the of these communities. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that during those particular months are just specific for those communities, but make it a practice all year round that this is something that we value here. Mm-hmm. That 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 is the that is the um the message that's being seen by um your employees or your associates that yeah. this is valued all year all year round. Again, it doesn't mean that the rest of the year is dedicated to those non-POC um populations. Right. You still celebrate that all year round. But also having an understanding that specifically because we do have these traditions of Black History Month and Women's History Month, then we're going to give specific focus in highlighting um, the contributions of people, whatever corporation that you're in, the contributions of that population's um, what what they've made to the the line of work that you do. That would that would probably be my biggest piece of advice is that let it be seen all year Mm -hmm. round let it be seen all year round because one of the big things that that's really important for employees and associates is visibility Mm -hmm. and being seen and 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 not just employees or associates that's a that's a core need that we have as human beings is to be acknowledged and to Mm -hmm. be seen and to to know that somebody actually sees you here and the contribution that you're making to this space as well too Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's never a, a bad time for employee recognition. No. And when um people often ask, like, how much employee recognition is too much? And it's like, we'll let you know when you get there. Cause cause we have not hit that precipice um just yet. So I definitely agree with you. I think the importance of making sure that these sorts of acknowledgments and celebrations are happening all year round is key because then it's not strange to anyone when you focus in on a particular group or community, whether it's Black History Month, Women's History Month, Hispanic and Latino Heritage Month, Pride Month, Asian American Pacific Islander Month, like, yeah, Indigenous Peoples Month, like, whatever it is, um, you're not running into the issue of what about me? Um, and my contributions, why aren't we talking about, you know, X, Y, Z, a thing when you are being intentional about celebrating the richness of our history and the people who have contributed to that all year round, then you don't, there's no need for anyone to be upset, jealous, whatever, um, when it comes time to focus in on one particular group over another that the is research, crucial the research is very clear is that diversity drives ingenuity and innovation yes it, it it's 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 right there for you to know that i'm going to want to be here if i can really get and, and not get a sense visibly everything that's why performative acts don't necessarily work because it's only visually stimulating and it doesn't, it's not incorporated in the sense that it's a felt sense. If I can get a felt sense 
that I've deeply valued where I am, I'm likely to go really hard for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if I feel like I'm in partnership, I'm in community, and I can really get yeah. a deep felt sense, not a visual sense, mm -hmm. but a deep felt sense that I'm valued and appreciated. You're going to get the very best of what I have to offer. For sure. On the flip side, if I feel like I'm not valued or appreciated or not seen, and I'm only being paid recognition in a visual sense, mm -hmm. I'm going to call that for what that is. Mm -hmm. And I'm likely to give you the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And I so, don't know that organizations understand that, right? And that's that desire for colorblindness that, mm -hmm. that grates at my soul. Yeah. It, because what we're failing to understand is that people want all the aspects of their identity to be acknowledged mm -hmm. and to be welcomed into the spaces. And mm -hmm. when that doesn't happen, and I feel like I have to shut a piece of me off in order to be, be here, be here and, mm -hmm. and feel safe in this environment, then I'm shutting, I'm also shutting off a part of me that could be contributing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because there's a piece of my brain that is now dedicated to suppressing something that is, is natural and innate to me that cannot be tapped into for creativity, productivity, and all of the things that go along with that. And that right. to me is the biggest piece that we continue to miss because it's so simple. Like I tell organizations all the time, focus on inclusion first. Get people to recognize, celebrate, and welcome each other's differences. I love walking into organizations, logging on to trainings for organizations, and seeing people on screen that mm -hmm. is just a, as, as close to the rainbow of appearance as is possible. And yet... And then watching these individuals engage with one another in the chat in various ways, like those, that's what I love to see because that's a high, that's usually indicative of a high level of feelings of inclusion. And when you can cultivate that for various people, then you now are seeing the full human and it becomes much easier to engage in conversations about equity and it becomes safer to add mm -hmm. more diversity mm -hmm. into this space because the feel the welcoming feelings are already there mm -hmm. and if i really tell organizations like no matter where your political stance on DEI may lie within your organization making sure that you keep inclusion at the heart mm -hmm. of the culture that you're trying to build should really be a non-negotiable yeah. like and I can't even understand I can understand like I understand I know why but it it is so silly to me the way that we have tried to turn this and weaponize it as, yeah. as something that is a bad 
thing, like saying, you know, the whole DEI must die. Like we really are saying inclusion must die like mm-hmm. that. We really, we, that's, that's how we live in. Like we really doing this. We really saying that equity must die. I think it's more Diversity so of the must equity die. must die. I think it's really about mm. the equity must die. I, I, and I heard you mention that the focus on inclusion and I take a slightly different stance on that as well, just on that perspective. For me, it's the inclusion and equity both happening at the same time. Mm, I think that once you get, once you make the commitment to diversity and you make the commitment to inclusion, as far as having people in your organizations that are qualified um, to do the work that your organization produces, the equity and access to Mm -hmm. different things in the organization has to be on the table at the same time. Like, I think both of those things go at the same, at the same time, because if not, then I'm here just for face presentation. The, and to be counted the in the number representation for the visual mm-hmm. representation if i don't have access to coaching mm-hmm. or access to mentorship or access to higher level leadership that can help um me chart my career path here in this organization whereas i might see someone else that and might not be a part of my demographic or my group stuff that yeah. has access to those things yeah. then yeah, i'm strictly here as a fit mm-hmm. right right it so i feel like both of those things are having to happen at the same time yeah I I I agree and when I talk to organizations a lot about that but when I'm working when we're priming equity is definitely in the conversation because it's important to me as to your point as early and upfront as possible in this relationship between me and and this client to understand their commitment to equity because to your point inclusion and diversity like I say you know inclusion feels good diversity looks good equity is good you Mm -hmm. know people are fine to feel good and look good but be a mess all up under just beneath the surface and Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that that organizations understand that the be good is is the goal. The be good mm-hmm. is is the thing that really matters. That's where the rubber meets the road and the traction mm-hmm. begins. Yeah. Um, and so in working with the executive teams and and priming the organization and setting starting to those conversations of like, what are the goals here? Centering that on equity, I agree, is really important mm-hmm. when we dive into the more outward facing work with mm-hmm. the employee populations at large is where I really try to focus in on inclusion because if the if you can you can't get to equity without inclusion when people because people don't see yeah. each other's humanity, full right. humanity yeah. without that. And so then you're you're fighting as much as the desire and may be there you are fighting people's conditioning and instincts and it's a battle that you're not likely to win. Yeah. And 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 I think that I, I've been given a great deal of thought around um, outside of just doing therapy work, it's also including executive leadership coaching from an IFS lens. Yeah. Because to your point of fighting condition of conditioning, 
I'm really curious about what's happening within your internal landscape mm-hmm. that makes the implementation of DEI a challenge mm-hmm. for your organization. Because mm-hmm. there's something in my mind in how I work. I'm really curious about what messages you got about other cultures that are not white, because primarily mm-hmm. these are white dominated spaces that we're mm-hmm. that we're in and out of. Um, I'm really specific. I'm I'm really curious about messages around that. I'm really specific um, or interested or and curious about messaging around conflict. Mm-hmm. What parts of you become activated when you think about inclusion? Is there fear around the reaction from mm-hmm. others in your organization if you're trying to make um, a declaration to be more equitable and more inclusive in your environment? Is there any system activation that happens the moment someone pushes back against that? Mm-hmm. I'm really curious about what messaging you got around communication. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious about the messaging that might have come up around um, just other cultures because there's a lot of there's a lot of cultural burdens that groups carry as well too that that becomes internalized and then that's the that's the the behavior that we see happen outwardly as well too. Yeah. So I would I I have really, really strongly been thinking about doing some work with executive leadership from an IFS lens because I want to know what's happening. I think that that is wonderful. And I hope that some of the folks who are listening will tap into you um, for that type of work, because I don't know. I think we're, we're still slow to incorporate to realize the ways that the two of those really intersect and how interwoven they are um, yeah. and how much the ways that the, the ways of being and behaving and thinking that we were um, conditioned, indoctrinated into in our formative years through our families, through our education um, and so forth continues to replicate and show up in our work lives. Um, I have said before that we have this crazy notion that people can really be complete jerk mongers Mm -hmm. outside of the building, but they log on if, you know, from their remote location or they badge into the building and go inside and that they somehow become a different human yeah and they don't and they don't and they they terrorize and traumatize people Mm -hmm. in the process especially when through whatever mechanism people like that end up in leadership roles yeah um and they're holding these views about people of color about women about our brothers and sisters in the lgbtq plus community the the disabled um Mm -hmm. the neurodivergent like they're hold they are holding these views and they may not be outwardly expressing negativity but it's showing up in the discomfort that's displayed in the interactions it's showing up in the ways that they speak to Mm -hmm. one person versus another um and it all and those micro aggressions are felt and internalized by those people who mm-hmm. then 
leave your building, log out of, of your system and go into a world that compounds what it is that they're facing inside of there and the trauma Mm -hmm. that that builds within a human over time. So I applaud you for, for doing that work and for trying to work with executives to make that connection and to then break the cycle so that there is because self the self-awareness like that's the thing that separates us from animals Mm -hmm. i say this all the time like the thing that separates from animals is our ability to think about our thoughts and make choices Mm -hmm. like animals are all instinctual whatever they whatever comes into their head to do they just do it constantly they don't understand consequence you know they understand reaction but they don't really understand consequence Um, We as humans, you know, we have higher level thinking to be able to really examine, oh, what is going on with me? Like, why? Mm -hmm. Where did this thought come from? Do I really believe this? Oh, no, I don't. Okay, well, what do I believe? Okay, I believe this. Like, we have the ability to have all of that going on in our brain. And so many of us are just wasting it. Yeah. Because of fear of what we're going to find if we start to peel that onion back and I think it's it I think the state of our world really requires us to be less afraid of that and 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 so looking at it from an IFS lens then that would let me know immediately that there's a part or one within you that's Mm -hmm. leading with fear yeah yeah and so let's talk about the one who leads with fear and, and how that, that shows does. up and what yeah. that does and what, what that does not even what people. it does we're not even talking about how it impacts the environment quite yet if there's one within that leads with fear i'm very curious about the experience of that one that feels like it needs to to lead in that way mm-hmm. what are some of the concerns and fears that it might have if it doesn't lead with fear yeah so the executive coaching that i'm talking about has has not, I don't want to say has less to do with the external environment, but the more that you begin to balance, bring harmo- like harmony and balance to your internal system, it's mm. going to reflect out here. Yeah. That's yep. just going to happen. It's a natural byproduct of going inward and working with those parts that are leading. So my first question for anyone in leadership, this is, this will be your first cra- um, crash course in IFS coaching for executive leaders. Are you aware of the one or the ones that lead? Are you aware of them? Who are they? When you walk into your building or when you walk, when you log on, are you aware of the ones that show up with you? Yeah. If you are, let's talk about them. Let's identify them. I want to know who's all in the room when you walk in as well, too. Mm-hmm. If you don't have an insight on that, then it's just going to be this. It, it, it comes from a place of this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's an that's... E, that's easy default. Yeah. No, that's not just who you that's are. That's not who you are. That's no. just the part that you lead with. Yeah. So let's get to know this part a little bit more or this one within a little bit more. And let's so see we, what else is in there. And let's see what else is you here. You could be making space for yes. instead. Indeed. So Indeed. the more that we can begin to work with those ones within that might be not wanting to intentionally cause impact or chaos in an environment, but it is doing nonetheless. The more that you continue to work with those ones, the more you can continue to ask those ones to soften a bit so the true core leader of who you are can come forward. That doesn't need to lead with fear. That doesn't need to lead with anger. That doesn't need to lead with microaggressions. 
or doesn't need to lead with minimalizing. Mm -hmm. All the stuff that we see that happens to associates, employees in, in business environments. True doubt. That's my homework for the leaders that are listening and tuning in. Yeah, and that is, yeah, and that is some good homework. I'm a, I'm gonna do some of that homework my own self. So, and that is today's episode, y'all. <laughs> I want to thank Charlie for being with us again, for being our expert in residence, for guiding us through these difficult conversations. Um surrounding inclusion and equity in the workplace so that we become better leaders, better coworkers, better humans. Um, and I want to thank you for listening once again to the Inclusion Crusade on the HR Happy Hour, now in its fourth season. Can you believe it? Um, and we will see you next time. See y'all.